1: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu.
0: Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, August 22nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as heated debate surrounding Confederate monuments continues around the country, one Gulf Coast Museum is welcoming them for the preservation of history.
1: My goal and the goal of both lines taking these statues is to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem.
0: In our story course segment, a conversation about the experience of an immigrant family moving to Mississippi. And hear from two Mississippi congressmen with opposing views on what needs to happen next for health care. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The final home of the president of the Confederacy is being offered as a new home for Confederate monuments. This after heated debates surrounding the meaning and messages of the monuments have risen around the country. In Charlottesville, Virginia, one woman was killed at the site of a hostile demonstration when someone drove a car into a crowd. In Mississippi, there are more than 40 Confederate monuments, that's according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, including statues, buildings, roads and the official state flag, there are more than 130 public recognitions of the Confederacy in Mississippi. The Beauvoir estate is the historic home of Confederate President Jefferson Davis. The privately held museum and presidential library is located in Biloxi. Tom Paine is executive director and general counsel at Beauvoir. He tells MPB's Alexis Ware why they say it's the right place for Confederate monuments.
1: Beauvoir is both a museum and the Jefferson Davis Presidential Library. So our overall core mission is to educate and commemorate. And we are a private location, not supported by public funds, To where when we bring the monuments to Beauvoir, we can give them the appropriate interpretation from, uh, from the research that we've done explain their significance to the people that would like to come see them, and it's a private location so that individuals who feel uncomfortable with the statues or with the monuments, they won't even have to see them. But if they choose to do that, then they can come on the grounds of Beauvoir and they can view them and get the appropriate historical interpretation of the significance of what the monument represents and the individuals that the monument represents.
2: What kind of historical context could you provide?
1: First, we can provide the context that the majority of these men who are iconic figures like Robert E. Lee and Thomas Jackson, that these men were not, in fact, pro-slavery and they were against it. In fact, Robert E. Lee gave his slaves away before the war even started. And and then I think people would like to know that to kind of ameliorate the heat that goes along with the Civil War. The other things we want to tell about is how strongly these men felt about the South and their states. And each one of them stated in written word and in letters to others that the whole point of joining in uh, the the Confederate cause was for self-determination. And as part of the continuation of the revolution that occurred that made us the country that we are. And they seceded when their states seceded. They were not anti United States, they were anti-federalists. They were anti this unrestricted control of state acts by a, by a perceivably stronger federal government who largely was made up of individuals from the industrial north and who had pledged to do things that would, would negatively affect the economy of the south. And, and those are actual facts that we can point out and do primary sources so that people can then make their own determination of, of what they felt about the Civil War when they knew not, they didn't know any better. Now, you and I looking at it from the 20th century perspective, we know better. We know that that was a terrible institution. And that institution and, and the people involved even in the 19th century felt like that that institution was, gonna, uh, was a sin uh, that, that we were going to have to pay for, but not just the South. It was the North as well, the whole United States. So I, I think that would help reasonable people see that this issue is so much broader. And I think that if we get the monuments to Beauvoir, we will protect them. They are also very beautiful pieces of art that were that were very expensive to build. And we would protect them so that they can be viewed by those people who care about that. We will interpret them to tell the truth, and then we will we will keep them and revere them as part of our core mission in education and commemoration.
2: Do you think the Beauvoir is a more appropriate place for these monuments instead of out in public areas?
1: I would disagree that they should not be in public. I think they should be. If people cared and it wasn't divisive, I think they should be in the public arena because we do need to be reminded of that the Civil War actually occurred that, the, that we as citizens fought against each other. And, and over 600, now the, the the average is somewhere in the 750,000, of, of our fellow citizens were killed over factionalism in this country. And we don't want to repeat it. But if it's between the Scrappy and Beauvoir, then Beauvoir is the most important place for all.
2: How would you be able to provide additional modern context that acknowledges that some of these men were slave owners or represented ideals that don't align with modern views?
1: My goal and the goal of line in taking these statutes, is to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. We want to ameliorate the heat that the left or others who have, and the ultra-right, who have their own agenda, for being divisive, and spread the light as to what actually happened. And that's why we think it's most appropriate for it to be at Beauvoir in a location that people can come and understand and learn. We just tell it as it is and let everybody make their own decision. And that's what we're about at Beauvoir.
2: Tom Payne is the executive director for the Beauvoir. Thank you so much for speaking with me today.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it and look forward to the advantage talking to you again someday.
0: James Kroll is the local president of the Biloxi branch, NAACP. He tells MPB's Alexis Ware he thinks the monuments represent white supremacy, but would support a move to the Beauvoir.
3: The majority of those monuments were put up during the Jim Crow era to symbolize white supremacy more than they were to recognize the people that were there. I think that if this country is going to come together, you know, we have to take those type of symbols down and try to bring our country together as we name it the United States rather than the separate states. That time is out for us to be fighting the Civil War again. At this crucial period of time, we really need to be unified in our efforts and trying to not only work within our boundaries but outside of our boundaries of our country that we may present to them a unified body or country because otherwise we're going to self-destruct.
2: Recently, the Jefferson Davis Home and Presidential Library has said that they would be willing to accept these monuments onto their grounds in a more historical context. What are your thoughts on where these Confederate monuments should be moved?
3: That's an idea. That would be, to me, an ideal place to move them to. That's a part of history. And, of course, history needs to be documented and also to be seen. And the boulevard in Biloxi has a museum there where not only these monuments can be placed, but the uh, state flag of Mississippi ought to be placed, you know, for those who believe in their heritage and that it represents their heritage and others who would like to see the historical aspect of those items, the flag or the monuments themselves. They can visit and read upon the history.
2: Some people may argue that these monuments should remain in public spaces because they serve as a reminder. Are they necessary to be seen in the public eye for people to essentially not repeat history?
3: They've been there for a number of years already, and, uh, and it seems as though that hadn't changed. I see a lot of things that have happened in the past happening again matter of fact, it seems as though since President Trump has been elected, a lot of the things that happened back in the earlier years in the 30s and 40s are coming, are trying to come back, are trying to raise their ugly head. The incident in Virginia the past couple of weeks ago uh, was is a perfect example of why those monuments should not be in the public view. There are quite a few people who feel that they should be taken down. Of course, there are a few that feel that they should remain, and they, and they have come armed as though they were ready to fight a racial war. But uh, And as a leader of our country, President Trump should be trying to bring us closer together and try not to honor those people for taking the stand for maintaining that statue there. And I think a lot of good-thinking people who saw that really feel that that those monuments needs to go. And, of course, we saw in Baltimore where the mayor there quickly took those down there and had them removed overnight.
2: How do you think this should be handled here in Mississippi?
3: The right thing should be done by our leadership. You know, we're divisive enough. I mean, Mississippi has always been the last on everything when it comes down to race. You know, we just hold on to the racial hatred and segregation more than I think in any other state in the union. And uh, if if anybody going to say this is a new Mississippi, it should be the leadership of this state. And they should not only just speak it, but show it. And what they need to do, and that's, that's that's removing the flag or changing the flag to something that would be receptive to all groups here in, in our state, and also removing some of the the monuments. Of course, there are some historical sidelines, like in Vicksburg, Mississippi, where uh, you got quite a few uh, Confederate graves and monuments there that that you may consider leaving them where they are, but. Uh, I do feel that there should be some effort to try to bring us closer together.
2: James Crowell is the president of the Biloxi branch in WACP. Thank you
0: so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. The Beauvoir has not acquired any additional Confederate monuments since announcing interest in collecting removed statues. Coming up, are there different kinds of discrimination when immigrating to the Magnolia State? Hear about one family's experience in our StoryCorps segment. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio.
4: Being part of a racial minority could be difficult in Mississippi in the 1960s, let alone being an immigrant. That's the situation Ashoka and Sita Srinivasan found themselves in when they came from India to the United States, first to California, then to Mississippi. In this StoryCorps conversation, Sita and Ashoka talk about the different kinds of discrimination they saw and experienced when they first arrived in Mississippi to teach at Tougaloo College.
5: Several of the faculty members came in 1969. Uh, One of the persons who is still there, um, he was an undergraduate at Berkeley and had gone to graduate school at Harvard. And then we had the people from uh, another Indian couple who came at the same time. And so we had several faculty members who came from at the same time in 69. And those who were there already, you know, some had gone to Carlton and Cornell, and they were really gone to high-powered schools, and they were all very progressive. They were very reflection of what we used to get in Berkeley with interacting with the, the people there, you know. So they, that way we were kind of uh, isolated from the other aspects of the south, being at Tuvalu. We
6: yeah. had friends at Millsaps. Millsaps. also. And that made a big difference. So our interaction with the larger Jackson community was really restricted to people at Millsaps, and right from the very early days, we were active in the uh, ACLU in Mississippi, and when I say active, it was a, really a fledgling organization, but the ACLU used to have some fundraising dinners, even in the early 70s, and we began to participate in that. So we began to know the kinds of Mississippians who wanted to support the ACLU. We knew faculty at Millsaps, and, of course, faculty at Tougaloo. So we were, in a way, I think, insulated from yeah. some of the negatives of the state. Right. Yeah, and we,
5: we never really uh, first-hand experienced uh, overt discrimination. By 69, things had calmed down, though I remember when we, the first time we went to a doctor's office, uh, there were these two restrooms next to each other. White and colored was kind of painted with uh, one coat of paint. We had heard about these things, and uh, so that was kind of a little unpleasant kind of a uh, thing. But things started changing by the 69s.
6: People would often ask us, oh, surely you must have been discriminated against in Mississippi, especially Indians who lived in other parts. Like I have a cousin in Pennsylvania, and he said, oh, I would never set foot in Mississippi. And I said, well, you don't know what it's like down there, so don't you know? write it off. Mm-hmm. But I would say that the only time we felt any hint of sort of disapproval or you know, questioning of who we were, is not because we were Indian, but because we taught at Tougaloo. Yeah. So that was what yeah. made people yeah. a little bit uneasy, yeah. not our Indian identity. Because it
5: was such a radical... Yeah. Well, I in think fact, it was, was a black
6: yeah. school, and while it was, I'm a called, radical place. Yeah, it yes. was
5: called the Communist <laughs> Campus. It was the one place in Mississippi where blacks and whites could get together, and in fact, we had a lot of people from, like Marlon Brando, would come, and all this, all the leaders in the civil rights movement, they used to come and uh, assemble there in the chapel. And uh, there was a professor there by the name Ernst Borinski, who survived the Holocaust. He's one of the Polish Jewish person, and he he had a, a set up there called the Social Science Lab. And he would invite people from the progressive people from the white community and several of the Millsaps uh, faculty that Sita was mentioning would come there uh, after a lot of times after it got dark so that they wouldn't be identified and came and got together with some of the black um, faculty and the uh, the white faculty who were there and kind of exchange ideas and things like that. So Tuglu was in the forefront in bringing about racial change and so it was not very... Liked by right. the it was a majority. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we, we used to get cold shoulders when we. They just assumed that I was a medical doctor and we worked at the medical center. But when they found out you're at Tuvalu, then you would see the. <laughs> temperature go down.
4: to hear more of our conversations from the story mobile tour go to mpbonline.org the story mobile tour visited mississippi through a partnership with the mississippi humanities council the mpb foundation and mississippi public broadcasting
1: one day one drive one goal one hundred fifty thousand dollars Because of you, listeners of MPB hear quality radio programs that both inform and entertain. Because of your financial support, we've been able to provide Mississippians with unique programs that can't be heard anywhere else. This Friday, we take on our biggest challenge yet. One day, one drive, one goal, $150,000. This is
0: Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. As the U.S. House of Representatives prepares to return to Washington in September, members of the Mississippi delegation are talking about possible action on health care. Repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act remains a top priority for Republican lawmakers. The House passed an ACA repeal measure as recently as May. Action later stalled when Senate Republicans could not push a measure through their chamber. Republican Representative Greg Harper serves Mississippi's 3rd Congressional District He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the health care effort is not over.
6: Health care, what happens next with that?
7: It's hard to say. Obviously, the the Senate had a uh, setback on being able to get uh, the the repeal and replacement out of the Senate and back to the House. That's not over and done with. You know, we're, we're only eight months, not even a full eight months into the year. And remember that when Obamacare passed, the Democrats had full control, the White House, House and Senate. And it took them to March 21st of 2010. So it took, you know, took about 14 months for them. So I expect that the Senate will will figure that out and uh, come up with a plan uh, sometime. I hope soon.
6: You think we're going to see real change? And do you think those payments are going to be made that are being held up?
7: That's still in the in the works. Uh, it's hard to say how that will all uh, all play out over the over the next couple of months. But I do know this. Unfortunately. Uh, Obamacare has not done what it was billed uh, to do. It. Uh You ask anybody, nobody's premiums have gone down, as was promised. Uh, You haven't been able to keep your health insurance plan if you wanted to, which was promised. You haven't been able to keep your, in many cases, your own physicians that you wanted to. That was promised as well. And so uh, you look at the premium increases across each state. It's been horrific, uh, and it's hurt families. And you can say, well, yes, I've got insurance, but if your insurance is costing you $1,500 a month and you've got a $5,000 deductible, you might as well not have insurance. That's the practical impact of that. So we've got to come up with a solution.
6: Thank you. Appreciate
7: it. See you. Thanks.
0: The Lone Democrat in Mississippi's congressional delegation says if changes need to be made to the nation's health care system, they should include even more people. Second District Congressman Benny Thompson tells MPB's Ezra Wall more dialogue is needed.
8: Well, the first thing you have to do is hold hearings. Uh, We need to hear testimony as to what's wrong with the Affordable Care Act. Uh, The House passed uh, its repealer without conducting the first hearing. Uh, So members of Congress, the public, no one had an opportunity uh, to voice their opinion. Uh, The Senate tried to do the same thing. They did not have a single hearing. They heard nothing from any of the witnesses. And so ultimately, uh, on the Senate side, it went down in flames. John McCain, in my estimation, is a true hero. He is a man who understands health care, who understands that there are a lot of people in this country who are facing exactly what he's facing, and the notion that potentially they would lose their health care if he voted in that manner of supporting it, I think he just faced reality in that instance. But as important is we're the last democracy on Earth not to offer health care to its citizens. Why would we want to be the only one left not doing what France, England, Germany, Canada, Mexico, all these other countries are now uh, providing health care to its citizens? America should do nothing less than to provide a level of care so that people won't have to make choices between paying the light bill, paying the rent, buying groceries, or going to the doctor.
4: If there were to be hearings held offering evidence on one side or the other for or against the Affordable Care Act, you'd be in favor of a process like that moving Uh, forward?
8: Absolutely. That's how a bill becomes law. Uh, Those who are for, those who are against, They have an opportunity to present their sides. But the Republican majority in the House and Senate didn't want to hear from the public as to what's good and what's bad, because in their mind, they already know that it's bad. But the one thing that bothers me the most in this whole debate is that every individual who voted to do away with the Affordable Care Act They have the best insurance in the world. So they are saying, well, I'll keep my insurance, but you don't need it because you're one of that 22, 23 million that doesn't deserve health care. I don't want to be a part of that, and that's the reason I'll continue to support in this country. Americans having a right to affordable health care.
4: Congressman Benny Thompson, I appreciate your time very much today. Thank you for speaking with us. Thank
8: you.
0: Lawmakers return to Washington following the Labor Day holiday. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10 o'clock, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB public media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.
1: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu.